If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. Trump and Obama going at each other, kind of, a little, it's a little awkward. Democrats, what are their plans for the economy? And finally, tennis, how to enjoy it responsibly. All that's coming up right now on I'm Right. (music) 
There's a great documentary series out right now. I don't know if it's finished yet because I'm not caught up. So don't be writing me emails spoiling it for me. But it's on Michael Jordan's Bulls. It's called The Last Dance. It's been excellent. It's one of those behind-the-scenes things of, oh, look at Jordan here. Look at this guy here. This is what this guy was really going through. And they're, you know, pulling back the curtain and showing what people were really like. And it's been revealing about Michael Jordan. Now, I should clarify. I'm a jerk. As you well know, I'm a jerk. I don't have a moral compass or a soul or anything like that, and I never claimed otherwise. So when I see Michael Jordan in the way they're presenting him, it doesn't bother me at all. However, I've seen it's bothered many people in the American public. Jordan was this lion. He was this hero. He was huge. He was be like Mike Air Jordan. And now we're seeing behind the scenes, Jordan was a jerk to a lot of people. Jordan was always pushing teammates around, screaming at people, yelling at people, a little short with other people. Now, I watched it again, and I didn't see anything wrong with anything he did. But a lot of you have. And you know when I thought to myself, if Michael Jordan was the 12th best man on his team, they would have just cut him and be done with it. But instead, he was this amazing basketball player, the greatest player ever. He's out there winning titles. So what happened? I mean, they knew back then, It's just because we're just now finding out. All the sports reporters knew back then how Jordan was. They knew he was a <clears throat> little stern. They knew it all, right? But they didn't say anything. Why didn't they say anything? Because they were winning. Because they're enjoying it. They're winning. So I'm about to go through a little tit-for-tat with Obama and Trump. I'm about to go through this uh, bright guy who goes on 60 Minutes and trashes Trump, and then Trump goes on a tirade with Bright and all these other things. So before I go into all that, let me just say this. Then I know this is going to be hard to hear. I had a lot more appetite for Trump's Twitter tirades than I did before we had 40 million people unemployed. I did. I'm sorry. I, look, I like the memes. I like the videos. I like the fact that he's willing to go after anybody and everybody. I like it. I do. We have 40 million people unemployed, and I'm looking at a 200, 400, 500 word Twitter rant about a scientist. Is Bright a jerk? Yep. Are there going to be more of these jerks who leave the White House now and go write their book about Trump blew this and Trump blew that? You bet they are. And you bet Trump is going to trash every one of them. Well, that's fine. Just saying, I had a lot more of an appetite for it before we were at 20% unemployment. I don't want to hear any more of it now. That was fine when unemployment was at 2%. When it's at 20 set the phone down. Sorry. Had to be said. All right. Barack Obama, of course, has to get up and give a graduation speech and understand this. He's probably getting paid to do this, probably getting paid a lot. But even if he's not, this is not that big of a deal because it's a graduation speech. And I, look, I understand that a lot of people, everybody, is a better student than I was. I, I hated school. I could have skipped graduation and would have been happy. But it's not like graduation actually matters, does it? I realize you're proud and that's fine and you get to put on the uncomfortable gown. However, if somebody's getting up to speak at my graduation, can't you just give a speech? Why does it have to be stuff like this?
More than anything, this pandemic has fully finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. If the world's gonna get better, it's gonna be up to you. I don't miss Barack Obama. <laughs> Every now and then, because I kind of forgot about how much I despised him, right? Didn't you do the same thing? I mean, we, look, we remember, we remember Obama. We remember we disliked Obama. But I really, really forget until he pops his head up every now and then, I forget how much disdain I had for that guy. How everything, no matter what, this is, look, this is their advantage too, but everything is political to them. Everything was political to him. He couldn't do anything. Remember, all this, all this talk now, and this is going to be way off base, but it's my show. I just go off on tangents sometimes. Everything now, when you have a big mass shooting, by the grace of God, we haven't had one in a while, Everything now is the left jumping on it. While the bodies are still warm, half the time people are still dying. We got to get rid of the guns. We got to stop this guns. Gun this, gun that. You realize that's Obama's fault, right? There was almost none of that in the past until he, as president of the United States of America, would stand up immediately after a mass shooting and gun grab. Immediately. Shameless. Standing on the bodies of the freshly dead every single time. And now what did he do? He normalized it. Made everything political all the time. Gosh, I can't stand it. Trump comes out, takes a shot back at Obama. Look, he was an incompetent president. That's all I can say. Grossly incompetent. Thank you. Hard to argue with that. I realize it's St. Barack. You know, the media went eight years not reporting anything that Obama did wrong. And now we're seeing he did a lot wrong. But the guy did suck. And remember, the reason Obama sucked so bad as president, he didn't have any experience at anything. Anything. I still find this hard to believe, and I'm not going to say another word about Obama because Obama's long gone, but I still sometimes think about the fact we elected a man as president of the United States of America who never had a job? He, he never had a real job? <laughs> his resume, his resume was this. And we elected him president of the United States. I've never seen anything like it. Gosh. Anyway, this, this bright guy, this scientist, of course, goes on 60 Minutes. And why does he get a spot on 60 Minutes? Well, this is why. Remember, the entire leadership was focused on containment. There was a belief that we could contain this virus and keep it out of the United States. Containment doesn't work. Containment does buy time. It could slow. It very well could slow the spread. But while you're slowing the spread, you better be doing something in parallel to be prepared for when that virus breaks out. That was my job. Good work. Trump, not too pleased with that, gets on and says 60 minutes and... <laughs> All right, this part's funny. 60 Minutes and third place anchor Nora O'Donnell are doing everything in their power to demean our country, much to the benefit of the radical left Democrats. Tonight, they put on yet another fake whistleblower, a disgruntled employee who supports Dems, fabricates stories, and spews lies. 60 Minute report was incorrect, which they couldn't care less about. Fake news. I don't know this guy. Never met him, but I don't like what I see. 
How can a creep like this show up to work tomorrow and report to Secretary Azar, his boss, after trashing him on TV? This whole whistleblower racket needs to be looked at very closely. It's causing injustice and harm. I hope you are listening, Susan Collins, and I hope that Sherry Redstone will take a look at her poorly performing gang. She knows how to make things right. That is Trump taking a shot at pretty much everybody. He sounds like a man fed up with this whole, he calls it whistleblower stuff. The truth of the matter is this. That stuff's not going to go away. Why? Well, this is what happens, and we've seen this how many times. Somebody is either in the administration or not really in the administration, but kind of claims to be, claims to have some special knowledge or access. They get out, write a book, do an interview, and what happens? The media is so desperate to bring down Trump at any cost, they run with it and take whatever crappy book it is and launch it to number one and make that guy a fortune. So I have news for you. If Barack, if Barack Obama, if Donald Trump gets reelected in November, get ready for four more years of it. It'll be four more years of somebody leaving the White House, boom, book, cable news tour, every single time. Why? It's a successful business model. Richard Bright, or Rick Bright, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call him Richard. Sorry about that. He had this to say. I am not disgruntled. I am frustrated at a lack of leadership. I am frustrated at a lack of urgency to get a head start on developing life-saving tools for Americans. I'm frustrated at our inability to be heard as scientists. Those things frustrate me. Is there anybody in this world more embarrassing than scientists in their sense of entitlement. Honestly, I realize this is a quick side note here, but I've never seen a group of people in my life, besides maybe journalists, who feel like that some title as scientist has given them some license to be absolute morons. Let me tell you something, scientists. There's nobody in the past 20 or 30 years that's gotten more crap wrong than scientists. And every time you see all the headlines out there, scientists claim, scientists claim this, scientists claim the world will be covered by ice in 10 years. Up, scientists claim the world's about to melt. Get out of here with that crap. None of y'all know what you're doing. You're all guessing with your fancy degrees. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Speaking of uncomfortable, how's this sound? You lay down at night. You're tired. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You you curl up underneath the covers and you put your head on the pillow and, oh, I need some sleep. And then you're not quite asleep yet because you're thinking about your day. And now you're thinking about the day and the fact that you're not asleep yet. And now you're really thinking about the fact you're not asleep yet. And now you're worried because now you're worried about tomorrow because you're not asleep yet. And you're still not sleeping yet. And soon you're looking at the clock and it's 3 a.m. And you're thinking, oh my word, I'm going to be a zombie and maybe die tomorrow. Stop. Go get an ebb sleep. You put it on, provides cooling to your forehead, puts you to sleep faster, and keeps you asleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com dot com slash jesse and use the promo code jesse get you 25 bucks off go start sleeping again i'm about to help you all out with a little tip when it comes to life at some point in time unless you live in one of these major cities 
you are going to have to purchase a vehicle. You're going to have to purchase a vehicle most likely from a dealership of some kind. Well, many of you may not know this, but I haven't always been this gigantic, huge, important TV star blessing your TV every single night with my wit and my wisdom. Actually, I'm just kind of started this like nine months ago. I have done several things in my life, mostly construction, blue collar work like that, Marine Corps. But at one point, actually just before I started this, I sold RVs for a living, meaning I didn't make a paycheck unless I sold something. There's no salary. There's no little minimum wage. You sell or you starve, period. So I have had to make my living doing this and allow me to tell you something. I didn't lie to people, but I was a good salesman. They made me a sales manager really, really quickly. Anytime I was pushing for now, I really didn't have to have it right now. Almost all the time. Uh, you got to do this today. Let's get this done today. Now, I understand what I'm doing. I'm trying to feed my family. I know that once you leave my possession, once you walk off my RV lot, my chances of sell selling you something go way downhill. You go home, you get online and start shopping, you pop the other dealership up the street, maybe see something you like better. When I have you, when I have you on one now, you're mine. And I will sink my teeth into you like a pit bull and not let you go. I'm just not, not actually physically. I'm not Joe Biden here. But understand this. Anytime you walk onto a car lot and you find the one you like or you're showing them that you like something and he says, oh boy, just today, only today, there's, there's a $500 rebate, but you got to sign today. In fact, you better sign in the next 15 minutes. Uh, you know what? If you don't sign today, this one's going to be gone. I've got 10 other people on this. You better buy it today. Buy it today. That's always wrong. That's always wrong. That's always crap. I know there are some salesmen out there who are chucking things at the TV right now because they're mad at me for telling you that, but that's a fact. So whenever you hear that from DC, whenever you hear people in Washington, DC, standing up you know, in front of the TV and say, we have to do this now. There's no time to waste. My God, people are dying. People are almost always dying, right? People are dying. We better do this right now. You remember what they just did to us when they passed the CARE Act? Republicans too, not just Democrats. We have to have this right now. There's no time to fix it. Look, I know there's a bunch of stuff in it that really sucks, but we have to do it right now. Better happen right now. Better, we, this has to happen now. People are dying. It's coming again. That same old DC line, that same old salesman tactic. Nancy Pelosi's up there. She's got that thing on repeat. Here she is. Time is of the essence, and we passed our proffer, what we put forth. In the past bills, they put forth their a proposal, and then we worked in a bipartisan way. That's what we'll anticipate now. Across the country, Republican and Democratic mayors, governors, and the rest all want this bill to happen in terms of uh, the investments in state and local and tribal and territorial governments, and also in terms of the testing to be done uh, across the country, largely at the state level. Uh, time is very important. We have lost time. But again, setting aside how we got here, uh, we cannot take a pause. They may think it's okay to pause. Of course. We don't have time to pause. What is this talking about slowing down? We have to spend this $3 trillion right now or people will die. 
No, don't read it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't read it. No, it's fine. I promise everything's fine. Just sign it. Let's get it through. Oh, oh, sister. I've played that game before, too. No, 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 no. You know this bill has protection for illegals from being deported? You know this bill has a gigantic mail-in voting push? I don't know what you're saying. Jesse, what's wrong with that? I mail-in vote. Yeah, buddy, I'm glad you mail-in vote. Ask yourself, why do you think the Democrats are so hot to pass federal mail-in voting? Do do you think it's because they're just trying to make it easier for you? Honestly, don't be a child. You know why. No, we don't need to rush. This is insane. And what I'm worried about is, no matter what Tom Cole's about to, set, about to tell us, what I'm worried about is Republicans are going to cave. First of all, here's Mr. Tom Cole, then I'll respond. So much of what's in this bill simply has nothing at all to do with the current crisis. It's more like a liberal Christmas card list, wish, wish list. Uh, it would make uh, more sense, in my view, Madam Speaker, to just send it straight to Santa Claus than to send it to the United States Senate, have a better chance of uh, becoming law that way. Well, that's, that's a nice line. And I like Congressman Tom Cole. Actually, I've got, had a chance to sit down and break bread with a man. So this is nothing against Congressman Tom Cole. But you understand she's going to get a lot of this passed, right? This is how Democrats have done it for a century. Do you know why? Because I've had people ask me this all the time. I've had people write me and ask me, why does government only grow? Why can't we ever shrink the government? Why does government only grow? I've got a little experiment for you. You ready for this? Go look at the last time a proposal was even considered in the House or Senate that shrunk the government. Go look at the last time anybody even proposed something that shrunk the government. Here's why government only grows. Democrats will do exactly what they're doing right now. They'll ask for everything under the sun. I want everything. I Give me $3 trillion worth of Democrat goodies. And you'll see Republicans stand up like they're doing now. Absolutely not. This is dead on arrival. We can't even consider this absurd amount of goodies. So Democrats rise for three trillion in goodies. Republicans will talk about how dead on arrival it is. That's absurd. We can't afford it. And Democrats will be like, all right, I mean, what do you think we should do? And Republicans will say, all right, well, you can have you can have two trillion worth of goodies. And Democrats will yell and scream, that's ridiculous. All right, though, if we have to be bipartisan, I guess we'll work for it with you. Now, who won in the end there? Was it Republicans or Democrats? Rinse and repeat, time and time and time and time again. Nobody ever seriously considers doing anything to increase your liberty, to balance the budget. Let me ask you, we talked a little bit earlier about you know mass shootings, which was horrible. I don't know how that came up, but it's horrible. We were talking about Obama and such like that. And you know what happens after every mass shooting now. Inevitably, some Democrat in the, in the House or in the Senate, will propose a bill right away to grab more guns. We need more restrictions. We need background checks. We need, let's get some more guns. Let me ask you something. When's the last time there was a mass shooting and a Republican in the House or Senate proposed a bill that actually put more guns in the hands of the American people? More gun freedom. 
why are you looking at me like that? It's not radical. The Republican line is, in fact, my line is, my argument is, more guns equals more safety. Have you ever heard of a mass shooting at a gun show? I certainly haven't. Why? Because everyone's armed. Everybody should be armed and trained and ready at all times. You'd have the safest place in the world. But nobody can propose a bill like that because they're all hiding under their beds. And Democrats will gun grab and gun grab and gun grab and Republicans will say, no, 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 this can't happen. This can't be. We won't allow it. All right. We'll allow a little of it. And that's why government only goes this way. Nobody ever even attempts to shrink it. And that's why it's never shrunk. All right. Chairman of the Federal Reserve, I'm, uh, I'm not quite sure how to take this. The U.S. has been spending more than it's been taking in for some time. And uh, that's something we're going to have to deal with. The time to do that is when the economy is strong. When unemployment is low, when economic activity is high, that's when you deal with that problem. This is not the time to prioritize that concern. We have the ability to borrow at low rates. We have the ability to service that debt. And I would say this is the time when we can use that strength to our longer run benefit. When is the time? Uh, with all due respect to Jerome Powell, I don't know the man. Maybe he's a genius, maybe he's an idiot, I have no idea. When's the time? I realize I have heard this line a lot. Now is not the time. We're not going to do it. Well, look, we can't talk about spending now. I remember the senator from Texas, John Cord, came out and said, we can't worry about things like money during a pandemic. Um, are you going to worry about things like money when the Social Security checks stop going out? When that old person walks into the hospital and says, hey, I'm on Medicare, and the hospital says, what Medicare? When the military, you know America's military, America's military might. When the checks stop coming one day, and that military goes from the most powerful in the world to that in about six months, does money matter then? Because... It's not the money you're spending then that counts. It's the money you're spending right now. Now is the time to worry about money because it's always time to worry about money. And it's not because it's, you know, wow, you're just worried about dollars and cents. It's because I'm worried about the absolute devastation that comes when that money's all gone. When it's all gone and you can't borrow another penny and somebody calls in the marker now you're talking about pain, real pain. In fact, you're talking about pain and death. That's what happens during an economic crisis. In America, it's not some country, you know, some jerkwater country somewhere. They'll rise and fall. They'll get it figured out. They'll slash a little. You know, we'll watch about. We'll watch it for five minutes on the news, and we'll turn it off. Um, America is the only thing keeping the wolves away. If America has an economic crash like that and there's somebody like China still out there, oh, they're going to have a high time without us. All right. We got a congressman coming up. Hang on.
time to talk to somebody in the belly of the beast, Representative Tom McClintock of California. Congressman, I'm seeing another $3 trillion bill head through Congress, and my emails are melting with people freaking out about the debt and the deficit right now. Please tell me this thing is going to die. Oh, it's going to die in the Senate, absolutely. So, but, but you do have to bear in mind that if there wasn't a Senate to stop it or a president to veto it, that would become law. And that three, you know, Arthur Laffer calls numbers like that mego numbers, M-E-G-O, my eyes glaze over. Uh, <laughs> think of it this way. Every trillion dollars we throw around in, uh, in Washington, think of that as about $8,000 from your family's budget. If you divide $3 trillion into the number of households in America, you're talking about $23,000 being added to the credit card bill of an average family. That's not a theoretical number. That is number that, uh, that's the number those average families will have to repay through their future taxes or through their savings and retirement accounts as inflation silently robs them of that because of inflationary monetary policies. That's the only way that you can finance a debt. Oh, my Lord, we need to get this guy as president of the United States. It's so wonderful to hear somebody in Congress actually talk about the debt as if it matters. We've been screaming about this. I'm hearing things like a $4 trillion de uh, deficit this year alone, Congressman. We were screaming about $1 trillion under Obama, as we should have been. How could we, how, is there a way of thinking in D.C. they actually think this is sustainable by either party. I mean, we're going to have to massively jack taxes through the roof because there's never any appetite to cut spending. Well, there, there is a body of opinion on the left that um, oh, you can shut down the economy. That's not a problem um, because the government can finance everybody. The government can go and, and write all the checks that need to be written. Uh, the, the problem, of course, is they have it exactly backwards. The, the government doesn't finance the economy. It's the economy that finances the government. The government cannot inject a single dollar into the economy that it hasn't first taken out of that very same economy. If I take a dollar from Peter and give it to Paul, Paul's got an extra dollar to spend. He feels really good about that. He'll spend that and it'll go ripple through the economy. Uh, but Peter has one less dollar to spend in that very same economy. That's why stimulus spending never works. That's why despite trillions of dollars of stimulus spending under, uh, under uh, Barack Obama, uh, we ended up with a lost decade uh, of the economy. Well, I guess that, that leads me into this question, which is an ugly one. If that kind of spending under Obama gave us a lost decade, What's this going to leave us with? I mean, we, we, we're, like I said, $4 trillion deficit, and now we're talking about more. Maybe this $3 trillion one dies, or maybe it just gets revised a little. I'm assuming they're going to pass something else. When do we actually feel the pain of this? Because I really believe, as you mentioned, people's eyes glaze over. I think they just don't feel it yet, and they don't understand what's coming. Uh, right now, it's coming out of the economy in, in this sense. Again, we don't have any of that money. We've got to go and borrow it all. When government borrows money, it borrows it from the same capital pool that would otherwise be available to loan to businesses trying to recover or to consumers trying to finance consumer purchases. And remember, two-thirds of economic growth depends upon consumer spending. That money is no longer there to loan to businesses to create jobs or to consumers to make purchases because the government has already claimed it. Um, and in addition to that, that money has to be repaid, all of it, plus interest 
And that is done from the future taxes of American families. That's coming out of the future economic growth of our country. So when we borrow money, we not only harm the present, we also harm our future. And that's the plea I made to the House Democrats uh, on, on Friday. Uh, don't take away our future. Give us back our country. Speaking with Congressman Tom McClintock of California. Congressman, I feel like people don't understand that Medicare and Social Security with our national debt, they're kind of doing this thing where they're going to merge at a crisis point, And we have 10,000 people still retiring a day. I was told this coronavirus response was to protect the elderly. Does it protect the elderly to massively accelerate the fact we're going to bankrupt the two social <laughs> programs that help them? Well, here's the real danger. There is a finite ability to, of any uh, government to finance debt. When you're borrowing money, again, it's coming out of that capital market. At some point, I don't know when, nobody knows when, but at some point, the market says, you know, you've been a good customer, you paid back your debts on time for the last 200 plus years, but you're in way over your head, and we don't think you have the capacity to repay this. What happens? They start raising interest rates. With the 20, what, four or so trillion dollars of debt we're now carrying, as that debt's turned over, a small increase in interest rates creates a huge increase in interest costs. That then starts a debt spiral, where the more uh, that the, we have to pay for interest, the higher the rates, the higher the rates, the more we have to pay for interest. That ends in what's called a sovereign debt crisis. That's when the market simply steps back and says, we're not loaning any more money. Again, not a theoretical matter. That's happened to the uh, territory of Puerto Rico. Uh, that's happened to Venezuela. It happens. And when it does, that's when the roof collapses because that's when Social Security checks can't go out. We can't pay the military. That's when everything really starts to fall apart. Good grief. All right, I would be remiss, speaking of falling apart, if I didn't ask you about your home state of California, absolutely gorgeous state for those who've never been there. It's easy to make fun of them because of people like Newsom, but you need to go see California. Newsom has his eyes on the White House, doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's, blatantly, it's, it's really apparent to anybody paying attention. Well, I, I, I don't know what's in his mind, but I can tell you this, his policies are destroying California. I mean, we're in a situation now that they've taken San Francisco's policy of no bail uh, and used this crisis as an excuse to extend it across the state. What that means is uh, the police and sheriffs are not allowed to hold a wide range of criminals that they arrest. They have to release him immediately. There was a case in Glendora the other day where the police arrested the same guy three times for three separate crimes and had to release him each time. Now, this is not a result of, of legislation where you can hold your representative accountable. This is a result of an edict coming from the state government. Um, and at the same time, they're releasing uh, uh, criminals back into our streets. They're arresting honest, decent people uh, for, for, for the outrageous activity of walking on a beach, a public beach. Congressman, speaking of edicts, one last question for you. I've seen, especially from the mayors and governors, these orders done, of, of course, always under the, well, it's an emergency situation. And honestly, people can argue pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown. I don't, I don't see how any of this should be allowed under the Constitution of the United States of America. How, as a governor or mayor, can you say to this business, close, and this business close, but you're allowed to be open? In what world does a government in the United States of America have that authority? 
Well, in China they have, and we're copying China. But I agree with you completely. Under our Constitution, it's, it, what they're doing is entirely uh, contrary to, to the very fundamental principles that are enshrined in our Bill of Rights. Uh, the right to peaceably assemble, to petition your government for address of grievance, to practice your religion freely, uh, to uh, be uh, uh, secure in your, in your uh, liberty, in your property, uh, 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 and protected by due process of law. If these edicts are allowed to continue, all of those rights mean absolutely nothing. Quarantine is a legitimate police power. That's where you say to an individual who has been exposed to a contagious disease or who has one, you have to stay home. Uh, that's subject to due process. You can go back to court and say, hey, please vacate this order. It, doesn't, it shouldn't apply to me. What's being claimed now is something very, very different. The power to order the indefinite home detention of an entire civil population on the pretext that they might catch a disease. Congressman Tom McClintock, we are going to have you back. Thank you so much for your time tonight, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I told y'all there are still some good people there. There are still some people who get it. There ain't a ton of them, don't get me wrong, but there are some. All right, we got more. Hang on. China. You're going to be hearing that word a lot and should have been hearing that word a lot. So we thought we'd bring on an expert today, author of The Bully of Asia, Stephen Mosier. What do you mean, The Bully of Asia? I think when I published the book a couple of years ago, I had to explain that to people. I don't think I have to explain who The Bully of Asia is now. If I had to retitle it, though, I'd call it The Bully of the Entire World because we've seen now, the whole world has seen what a threat China is. And I, let me be specific what a threat the Chinese Communist Party is to uh, uh, across all domains, including the health domain, a threat to our health and well-being. Well, Stephen, there are bullies you have to fear, and there are bullies you think you have to fear. I guess I, I've really been trying to drill down how powerful are they? I know their economy's big. It's not as big as ours. I'm mil I know their military's big supposedly not as good as ours. What, what? How much should we fear China? Well, I think China's neighbors, smaller neighbors, should fear China a great deal. And since we're bound by treaty to some of those countries, South Korea, Japan, uh, we would be drawn into any conflict. So it's very important that we stay on the alert in the Pacific and, uh, and that we bolster our forces there. You know, uh, President Obama's pivot to Asia was nothing but rhetoric. I like so much of what he did. Uh, he occasionally uttered a few tough words towards China, but actually never did anything but sent one single uh, fleet frigate to bolster the 7th Fleet, for example. And now we're in the middle of a serious buildup of our forces in Asia. Uh, China has basically now uncontested control of the East China Sea, and, the, uh, and, and it wants to wrest control of the South China Sea from the neighbors down there. Uh, it's not in our interest to allow us to do that. And in conjunction with Australia, New Zealand, Japan, um, India, uh, our forces there are increasingly credible in terms of uh, taking down the Chinese military. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the China Sea? I feel like everybody talks about it. Everyone brings it up as a talking point. China's aggressive in the China Sea. We're, we're going after them in the China Sea. China Sea this, China Sea that. What is it? Why does it matter so much? And what exactly are they doing there? 
Okay, imagine if the United States tomorrow declared the entire Caribbean was U.S. territory. All of the islands belonged to us. And that no other country had any claim on those islands, those shoals, um, so that the, the archipelago down there. That's what China has done in the South China Sea. Uh, the farther the Spratly Islands uh, are 1,200 nautical miles away from China. They're a lot closer to Brunei, to Malaysia, to the Philippines, to Thailand, to Vietnam, to other countries than they are to China. This is an incredibly big sea grab. You know, it's not a land grab. It's a sea grab, and uh, it cannot be allowed to stand. We had a ruling from the International Court at The Hague saying that China's claims to own the entire South China Sea, lock, stock, and oil barrel, was, was a fraud. And the head of China, President for Life Xi Jinping, said that ruling is nothing more than waste paper. It's toilet paper, he said, which tells you everything you need to know about how China regards the international rule of law as something to be flouted whenever it thinks it can get away with it. What's in these islands? Why do we care if they claim it? Why do they want it so bad? Well, a lot of these islands are not islands at all. They're underwater at high tide. But once China goes in and, and, and dredges up uh, thousands of tons of sand and pours uh, thousands of tons of concrete on top of these submerged features, uh, they become artificial islands, killing the coral reefs in the process, by the way, killing them dead, dead, dead under tons of concrete and sand. Uh, but they want these islands because they want the resources on the seabed. There's supposed to be a lot of oil uh, under the South China Sea, and China wants it all. And so it's drilling right up to the Vietnamese coast. It's drilling right up to the, uh, the Philippine coast. Uh, they're, they're close to the 12-mile limit in some cases. Now, every country has a 200-mile a exclusive economic zone, EEZ, supposed to have anyway. Well, China doesn't recognize any of the exclusive economic zones of the half-dozen countries that surround the South China Sea. It wants the entire thing for itself. Uh, as I say, it's, it's, uh, they're now saying that it's blue territory. They've set up a separate uh, prefecture in the South China Sea, uh, claiming that because they have a couple thousand troops on one island, that it is now part of the Chinese mainland, and it has its own separate civil administration, uh, mostly military forces, of course. So uh, this is something we haven't seen since the days of, I don't know, uh, leading up to World War II with the Anschluss of uh, Germany and Austria, with the, with the invasion of Czech, uh, the claiming of the Sudetenland. Uh, these are incredibly aggressive acts. That's why I call China uh, the Third Reich of the 21st century, because it's repeating uh, almost as if it's following a script all of the things we saw uh, Nazi Germany do in the late 30s. If China were to fall, let's let's which would be wonderful, obviously, let's say China goes down in flames for whatever reason. Who do we want to rise that has the ability to rise? Who has the infrastructure, the resources? Who would we prefer being the bully of Asia, to, for lack of a better way to put it? Well, I would prefer that the 94 million members of the Communist Party of China uh, go away, and I think the vast majority of the people of China would agree with that assessment. Uh, you know, more people voted uh, for to elect the the uh, democratically elected leader of Taiwan in the elections a few days ago than have ever voted for President for Life Xi Jinping. She got millions of votes. How many votes did Xi Jinping ever get from the Chinese people? None, because there's never been a free election in China. 
Uh, the Chinese Communist Party has to go down the memory hole of history at some point, has to land up on the rubbish heap of, heap of history. And I think that the overreach uh, in causing the pandemic, in creating the virus, which I believe it did, in allowing it to leak from the lab, and now, uh, instead of the velvet glove, instead of apologies from China, instead of reparations, what do we get? We get the mailed fist. We get China threatening countries uh, that call for an investigation. We get economic warfare against New Zealand, against the United States, against Australia, other countries that are urging China to do the right thing, open up and be transparent. Uh, the bully of Asia, you know, is, is taken off the gloves, as it were. And uh, and if, if they want to fight, you know, um, I'm all for it. If, if the contest is out in the open, then people can see it and Americans will react strongly and we will win this time as we won before in history. Uh, but the, the days of uh, covert operations, the days of deception and deceit on the part of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, following the mantra of Deng Xiaoping, the former leader who said, bide your time and hide your capabilities. Well, Xi Jinping isn't willing to bide his time and he's not hiding his capabilities. So we now see the bully of Asia, the China threat for what it is. And I think it's not just the United States. It's the whole world. We've got over 100 countries uh, that belong to the World Health Organization calling now for an independent investigation. I don't think that's, uh, that's an alliance that China ever thought it would see and is facing it now. Author Stephen Mosier, thank you so much for joining us tonight, sir. Thank you. Coming up next, it's fine to get back, start playing some sports, but you have to do it responsibly. We'll show you a little video how in just a moment. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the weather is nice. It's time to get back out there again and play some tennis. Understand this. There's a way to get out and get some exercise. There's a way to get out and play tennis while also playing it responsibly. Please listen to these words. Take them to heart. Every player, unless they're from the same household, has to bring their own tennis balls so that you don't touch other people's tennis balls um, with your hands. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. I'm gonna blush, sorry. Um, of course, if you're, <laughs> if you're playing with someone in your household, you can touch those tennis balls. Uh, to, avoid <laughs> to avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker, like a Sharpie, to mark out, to put an X, to put someone's initials on them. Um, I would just say... Don't get confused. Don't play with anyone else's balls. Keep your hands on your own balls. Everybody, I'll see you tomorrow. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please.
Don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.